Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Brain on the box. This is your brain on the box. This is my brain on the box. Does anybody else feel like a fried egg? Okay, Dave, that's it. Screw you and your college flunkies. I've had enough of this from you and from everyone else. I know what you guys are trying to do. Break me down, drive me out of the force. Well, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than a lame prank like this to get Curtis Mooney to throw in his badge. So fuck you. Over. That's what I call getting some head. <laughs> Time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil? Mad! Mad Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck... Groundhog Day! In Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Bill? Ned Ryerson? Bang! Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? At first, he was a little anxious. Bill? What? Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. But now, we could do whatever we want. He's discovering the possibilities. Don't you worry about cholesterol? Why? And living life mm. like there's Phil? no tomorrow. Phil Connors! Ned! Because there isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, burned, frozen, electrocuted. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. He's out of his gourd. But to get what his heart wants most... What are you looking for, Phil? A date for the weekend? ...means living this day over again, <laughs> till he gets it right. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a waste of time. I study 19th century French poetry. La fille qui You speak French. Oui. Bill Murray. Andy McDowell. To the groundhog. I always drink to world peace. Well, what should we drink to? I like to say a prayer and drink to world peace. Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. He might be okay. 
Life has a funny way of repeating itself. What did you do today? Oh, same old, same old. Did you miss me? gentlemen and welcome back to Inside Movies Galore and we are in Puxatani, Milwaukee as we uh, are starting tonight's episode but I am not the host for uh, for this evening. Uh, I'm going to give this over to uh, Miss Kitty. So why don't you tell us what this movie is? Well hey folks welcome to another episode of Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host Katie Cadaver and tonight I'm joined by their regular crew. We have Dustin and Dane. Howdy. And Kodabuki Jake. Hi. And Brandon, also known as Septim Sin. Yo. And of the course you heard and of contrast. course you heard David. The land of contrast with our intros here. Well Anyway, um, on tonight's episode, we're going to be discussing Harold Ramis' 1993 film, Groundhog Day. And of course, as always, we talk about all the things, so this is your official spoiler warning. We don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't seen this 25-year-old movie, so this is your warning. So, a brief synopsis of the film, uh, which I believe I pulled this one off Google, so... Um, I did not write it. I don't want to take credit for it. Uh, but the synopsis is that a cynical TV weatherman, played by Bill Murray, finds himself reliving the same day over and over again when he goes on location to the small town of Punxsutawney to film a report about their annual Groundhog Day festivities. His predicament drives him to distraction until he sees a way of turning the situation to his advantage. Um, and one thing I wanted to bring up about this movie that I think might actually be the only time this has ever happened to us on this podcast is, um, if you look at the de uh, definition in the Urban Dictionary of Groundhog Day, like, it's actually become a thing outside of the holiday of Groundhog Day, but because of this movie, the term Groundhog Day has become a way to describe, like, reliving the same day over and over, doing the same thing over and over. So, um, this movie's actually been really influential in the way, you know, the way we talk, our urban vernacular. So, I thought that was really interesting. So, yeah, it is. Anyway, yeah. Uh, we'll go around and find out what everybody thought. Dustin, why don't you go ahead? I, I have a feeling you're just itching to <coughs> tell us about this movie. Well, I'm, I'm always itching to talk about movies. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, I first saw this movie, I don't know, I think a couple of years ago or so, like, back when I was... Uh, still living outside of Milwaukee, uh, I saw it with my friend Andrew, who we've had on before, in case some of you listening may not know who that was, and uh, we both were pretty impressed by it, like, we were kind of, it was kind of surprising that, you know, we didn't see it until, like, our mid to, to our mid to late 20s, and this was, like, a huge movie for so many people for so long, so even with something being so popular, you know, you can still kind of can still miss it for a while, you know? But, I mean, I was, I thought it was awesome. Like, this might be, this might be Bill Murray's, like, best thing, because he does, like, a whole range of stuff in it. You know, he has moments that play as horror, moments that play as comedy, moments where he's got, like, serious dramatic lines. Like, it's just, it's such an awesome movie, like, all around. Like, 
even me watching it, I was really impressed. I was like, geez, I didn't know he could, I didn't know he had it in him, you know? And uh, that was pretty much my synopsis, too, apparently. Like, I had TV creep Bill Murray is forced to read it. <laughs> well, yeah, he was... Some of the stuff he ends up doing, which we'll, we'll touch on, he was, he was pretty creepy. I so. suppose that's fair. Uh, how about you, Dane? First time watch? Rewatch? I've seen this movie several times. Um, interesting tidbit. This um, is actually one of my dad's all-time favorite movies because he was really obsessed with the idea of doing something over and over again until you get it right, but also um, if you had no concept of time, all the things you could learn, all the books you could read, all the skills you could acquire, all that kind of stuff. Um, So it's just a little personal background, but yeah, I've seen this movie several times, and it's just a fantastic you know, it gets lumped in the ca- in the comedy category, and it, there's you know, obviously a lot about it that is really funny. I personally would probably put it in fantasy just because I feel like it covers a wider range of emotions, and I think that the cons- the kind of fantastical conceit is one that uh, yields a lot of food for thought, which we'll get into in a bit. Excellent, uh, Jake. How about you? Was this a first time watch or a rewatch for you? Definitely not a first-time watch. I honestly couldn't estimate how many times I've seen it. It's one of those ones, like you said, it's 25 years old. and God, that makes me feel old. Think about that. I think I saw it probably the first time not long after it came out. And I think I kind of was mildly amused, but that was about it. Like, you know, I wasn't a huge film geek until a couple years after the film came out, uh, <laughs> if even that. Um... And I probably saw it a couple other times in part or in whole over the years. And then at some point, I cannot remember when, maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I saw a list of the most, it was like the most underrated and most overrated screenplays of all time. And I remember this was really high on the list of most underrated screenplays. And I, I and it kind of started the process of revisiting it, and and I've seen it a few times since then. And I'm still not one of the people that absolutely adores the film, but I do think it's really cool, and I do feel like it is something you pick up a little more each time you see it. Um, so it's always fun to re- revisit it, rewatch it, and yes, I do I do agree it is one of Bill Murray's better roles. Definitely. Uh, Brandon, what about you? Um, sorry about that. The thing didn't want to unmute. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is my, uh, this is actually not my first time. Uh, surprise, surprise. I've actually seen this film. It's actually another one of those films. It seems like we seem to be tackling them. There's only a handful I've watched. Uh, hundreds of times, and this is one of those. Uh, because there, when I was younger, I wasn't as big into film. And uh, there were a few films that always caught my fancy. And this one caught my fancy not long after it came out. And I watched it over and over again, wanting to get into every facet of the film. I liked it because <laughs> it was that kind of film that... 
could be what I wanted it to be for whatever occasion it was. If I wanted something lighthearted, it could be lighthearted for me. If I wanted something that was darker, it could be darker for me. So to me, it was something just really enjoyable as an overall experience. It's definitely a versatile film. I'll agree with that. Um, David, how about you? First time watch, rewatch? Well, this was a rewatch. Uh, I, I watched it like two uh, two weeks ago, uh, thinking that we were originally going to watch it. Like uh, I don't know why, uh, why but uh, uh, sometimes I get our dates mixed up. But uh, in any case, I I have always enjoyed the uh, film. It uh, I can see this film over and over, and it's like every time I see something different. And this time around, uh, because I was looking up uh, Chris Elliott's uh, film credits, I actually came at at it. Uh, uh, well, there's a connection with him with a film called Hyperspace that evidently he got his starting in. And uh, later on, you know, he, he was involved with the abyss and uh, so on and so forth. And uh, I, I was looking at, you know, some of the the less credited pe uh, people dealing with this film. Um, and and uh, it's kind of neat and interesting. So um, I... <laughs> I've always enjoyed the part where he, uh, uh, well, uh, who wouldn't want to uh, try to uh, uh, make sure that we wouldn't see more more than six weeks of winter, you know? So. Yeah, it's a good movie. Um, overall, yeah, we've all seen it plenty of times before. Um, I really loved this one as a kid. Um, and I think it was for the comedy aspect. That's really what stood out to me for a long time with this movie. Um, I grew up on Bill Murray movies like Ghostbusters and What About Bob, Caddyshack, stuff like that. Um, so I've always loved Bill Murray for his comedy. But it wasn't until I became an adult that I really appreciated him, you know, for the more dramatic roles that he's played and even the more dramatic scenes like especially in this movie somebody touched on it um that you know there's a a lot he he goes through a lot in this film it's not just comedic which i think um as an adult is really you know on some of these um more recent watchings for me that's really what stood out to me is just how he really is a broad spectrum actor i think and and that's what i really like about him um, so, yeah, I watched it, you know, just in preparation for this podcast, but it's been a few years since I saw it last, and I think it's one of those films where if I would catch it on TV or something, I could just pick up wherever it was and just watch it to the end. Um, so definitely one of my one of my favorites, and I actually own this one on DVD, which means I bought it a long time ago, and I actually forgot I even had it, so there was, like, no extras on the DVD, it was really old, um, probably bought it when it, right after it first came out, which I think was, like, 2008 or something. Wow. Um, we can get into discussing the movie, starting uh, with the plot, um, interested to hear what you guys all thought of it, um, Obviously, it's a, it's a rather simple concept, um, but for what it was, I thought it was actually really well done, a really well uh, done story in general. So um, I'm excited to hear what you guys have to, have to say on the plot. 
Well, uh, what I like about the plot is it kind of it kind of gets right away into like establishing his character. Like he's kind of like a he's like a self-absorbed jerk, pretty much, for the beginning of the movie. Uh, and right away it establishes itself as it's like, hey, this day is repeating, and he does you know what you would expect someone like that to do. You know, he kind of takes advantage of it. You know, he's like, hey, we can we can do what we want, you know, and he's driving around and committing petty crime. <laughs> uh, in addition to other things, it's like, he's like walking up to girls, it's like, hey, what's your name? Oh, I'm, you know, and then just like ask like basic information, and they're like, why? It's like, oh, bye, and then like the next day he's just like, oh, hey, don't I know you? You went to, yeah, and that. That's an interesting concept, because um, uh, who wouldn't want to try to, uh, I mean, who wouldn't want a date uh, uh, where they could just do whatever the fuck they wanted to do, you, you know? And you'd still be able to come back and do it over again. Yeah, like, um, he jumps in rather quickly. I think it's like the third, the third day that he wakes up where he's he just starts. Like, isn't that where he steals the groundhog too? Like, that happens later because like the first couple days he thinks everybody's playing a trick on him, and then afterward he just kind of jumps in. It's like, yeah, we can do what we want, you know, and he's like mouthing off to cops and driving drunk. It's a doozy. <laughs> so like they they almost get hit by that train. Oh yeah, and he goes out with the drunk guys and then he orders <laughs> the flapjacks from the cop. That's right. <laughs> that was fucking awesome. Um, but then it kind of quickly becomes it's like oh I don't know how to after he's kind of like had his fun like he he really likes his producer and so he tries to use the same kind of it's like oh I know your interests and you know say what you want to hear and tries to like, get with her that like that. And it blows up in his face, and then he's just miserable, Several like, times. the next few days. Uh, like, after a point, you see him start to despair, and it becomes a little bit of a horror movie uh, in those sequences, because it's like, no, again. Uh, like, how many times have we ever wanted to smash our own alarm uh, when, go, uh, when, when we wake up? Do we ever uh, really, uh, really want to get up in the morning? Same song every day for year after year after year after year. It is a, it is a bullshit song. Like I, I hate that song too. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't sure. heard, heard it sure. like four times. Pretty, um, <laughs> that's, 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 that's something to mention for the. Uh, that probably is a notable mention because that actually is an integral plot point. Is that's how every single day he knows the day will be the same because he hears Sonny and Cher singing to him at six a.m. Yeah. Well, I always like that song because I think that it's you can write it off as being kind of trite, but it is ultimately about a love that lasts um, against really all odds, um, and that's kind of what he's seeking throughout the story you know he's seeking something greater than his own selfish desire that can last beyond this never-ending uh, monotony and uh, I do so, agree that he's seeking it throughout the entire story I not, think he not consciously come to that uh, I think he's very self-serving for probably exactly. the first you know 10,000 days that he does this for <laughs> 
Well, yeah. it isn't until it isn't until he is literally exhausted all of his narcissistic, self-serving options that he starts to, you know, develop into um, a deeper character where he starts to see how he can be of service to others. Yeah, except that he also mentions his at least initial seeds of feelings, you know, for uh, uh, retroactively mentions his initial seeds of feelings for Rita um, that were planted when he first met her, which at that time is probably nothing too deep, but it's just like, I think, and I'm saying that because I think all of us on some level seek some kind of deeper connection with people, no matter how selfish we are, but um, that's, anyway, that's what kind of what the, I think that song is intended to mean, but um, very quickly, the um, writers have said that um, he stays in Groundhog Day for 10 years, which I think oh, is God. really cool. Yeah, they well, yeah stays, he stays in that same day. There was a few websites that I um, did some research. They, they like, did the math, and, uh, you know, when you look at everything that he did throughout the entire movie like i guess um there are 30 some days that we actually see in the film but then when you consider like he had to learn how to play the piano and um learn how to ice sculpt and like all of these other things some yeah some people with a lot of time on their hands like figured out how long it would take him to perfect all these things and there was there was answers anywhere from eight years to like 34 years uh, of how much time he would technically have been reliving the same day over and over again. Well, the, the, the thing that I think goes a long way with what you're saying about the gradual transformation of a person by pretty literally just getting worn down to the absolute breaking point, just the fact that it is so gradual, um, you know, it's not something like, like even in something like A Christmas Carol, which is the the prototype for this kind of story, you know, even though that's supposed to be over three nights, but then, of course, uh, when Scrooge wakes up, it's actually Christmas Day, so they kind of compress everything conveniently. Um, but even then, that's only three days, uh, whereas this is ten years, and with a very, like we would think kind of beyond uh, saving kind of person. And uh, so it, that's what I think is one of the most effective things is that it does take a long time. It is not overnight whatsoever. Not to mention that we literally have the PG version. The There's probably a whole lot of his character development that they left out of the film in order to keep it more lighthearted and family friendly. There was, yeah. Yeah. And uh, just a real quick idea on, on the note, though, the idea of this is, Dustin, you said kind of the film kind of brushed horror territory. Yeah. Here's a crazy thought about that song. The song's called I Got You, Bay." Think about it as the day singing to him every morning. I got you. You're not getting away. And that does give it a horror vibe, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Actually... One of the first characters he sees is that guy, Ned. It's like, hey, I'm annoying insurance guy. And, like, I think the third time that Ned showed up, I was like, is Ned the devil? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> the movie, run. 
No, he has an insurance salesman. <laughs> Funny thing about that, um, so you have uh, this movie and you have something like, um, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, again, both of those stories taking after the mold that, that A Christmas Carol formulated. But um, both of those, with just a little rewriting and compressing, you could easily write into Twilight Zone episodes. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Most Absolutely. I mean, this this film does take us on a journey between fantasy, comedy, you know, drama, lighthearted drama. Um, but yeah, I think with a little bit of tweaking, it could go any one of those directions for sure. And that's, that, that's probably what I like. Honestly, I think what I like most of all about the film is what I tend to like in my personal favorite movies are the ones that cover a pretty wide emotional spectrum. Because I, I tend to dislike anything that is mostly like, a, well, well not, 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 not dislike, but I, I like a little bit less things that are all one way pretty consistently at the expense of some other kind of emotion that could be here that because life has its good times its bad times stuff that's funny in the midst of tragedy or stuff that's tragic in the midst of a funny situation i mean that's that's what life is and so i love when movies show that you know and I tend to even look for the comedy in serious films, you know, and vice versa. So, you know, I, this film covers that spectrum so well. And I really think it was needed in order to sort of make it work in general. Like, I don't think this film would have worked as well um, if it was just funny. Like, it would have been okay, but I don't think it would be the great film that it is, and it wouldn't have showcased Bill Murray's talents as well as it did. It has the gravitas with which to carry a great story while having laughs and romance and bits that are depressing or scary or all those things. I actually like uh, some of the psychological aspects that they bring forward. Um, uh, we had we had talked about like uh, depth of a movie uh, uh, throughout this, and sometimes I don't look for the depth in a movie, especially when I was really young. I mean, when I was like in my early teens, I wasn't out looking for much depth. <laughs> but uh, as I've as I've grown in my own career, I always like to look at a psychological angle. That's why some of my favorite movies have to do with a psychological twist of some sort. Um, this one, for instance, though, uh, you got to see a lot of the uh, Kubler-Rossian uh, stages of, uh, of, what was it, of death and dying, of basically, even though he wasn't dying, he did lead towards acceptance. In a way, you could use this as a metaphor for death. <laughs> and that when he finally accepted his situation, that is when he met his uh, fulfillment. Um, and again, and if, you look, if you look for it deeply, you do see all of the stages. And you see it as it is meant to be presented in a psychological angle with 
them not just going from one stage to the next. That's shoddy writing. Uh, good writing actually shows how a person really does go through these. This goes to a stage, comes back, then goes forward again. Uh, maybe even skipping a few stages as they go. Well, in a sense, I kind of like uh, like how it goes into de uh, death about you know how you can get someone to fall in love with you, um, and, and just like you can get someone to fall in love with you, uh, you can also lose that. Uh, just in an instant, just by uh, by saying the wrong thing in the wrong mo moment. I mean, you know, just uh, just in an instant, uh, you know, you say say the wrong th uh, thing, and uh, everything just kind of goes back to full, you know. And you know, it's like a domino effect. Even even when you have a significant other, arguments can escalate, you know. Well, that that and also uh, it just fear. That and it tells you also that uh, human beings, like the recipe for getting someone to like you or love you or whatever, that, you know, and this is something I've struggled with a lot because I've often wondered, like, why doesn't so-and-so like me? I did this and this and this. But human relationships are not like math problems. You know, you can't just add this to this and you always get this result. You know, even when he tries to uh, replicate the exact same conditions, say the exact same things, you know, try to recreate that moment, you can't. And, uh, you know, it just, it just tells you that there is that inexplicable something and that's what uh, defines human relationships as opposed to something like a math problem, which is it always comes out to the same result every time. Um, interestingly enough, we were talking about the psychological aspects. Um, apparently, this film um, is rather popular within some subsets of Hindus and Buddhists because some of the ideas presented go into the idea of uh, karma, reincarnation, and trying to move up the scale of karma in order to reach you know, enlightenment, and uh, you can definitely see that. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, Actually, it's yours a bit, too. Uh, I mean, that was that uh, thing that, uh, I think there was a documentary that came with mine, I, I rewatched it because it was a really good one, uh, and it talked about how uh, Harold Ramis was talking about how he would get letters from not just Hindus, or, but almost every religion. Uh, he would get letters from them uh, saying, uh, this, this is all about us, this is all about our faith, uh, including evangelicals or uh, just pretty much any religion, which is kind of, uh, it's just kind of neat that that could be applied to most of those types of situations. Though, also, one of the things I thought was interesting, plot-wise, is that the original writing of it had some very different takes, like him being there for thousands of years, or them starting the movie in the middle, where he was actually in the time warp, or continuing the time warp. Imagine how different it would have been had they gone through that angle. Well, they originally—that's that's how it was written originally—was that the movie was just going to start right in the middle of this time loop thing, and and you know, no backstory explaining it. But then they just kept like backing it up just a little, just a little, until they ended up backing it up to like the day before at the studio, so you could like really get 
a picture for who Phil Connors was, which I think was really necessary. It was really important, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah to, make, to make his transformation work. And I think this is a great segue into characters if we want to just sort of slide right on into talking about... Sounds good. Um, talking about Phil Connors, obviously our, our lead man here, and I think... I'm not even sure if there's any scenes that don't have him in it. So, um, as, as it was mentioned, uh, you know, he is definitely a very narcissistic, self-serving guy. Uh, when he starts his journey here and um, by the end, you know, kind of makes a complete transformation. Um, so what else did you guys think about uh, the other characters? Uh, we saw, we only get a little bit of time with most of the other ones. Um, I can't remember his producer's name. Like she was the other primary character. Rita. 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 Why can't I ever remember stuff? I, I uh, love Andy McDowell so much. I loved her in se uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and I, this. I just, she's I, very underrated. I just wasn't exactly enjoying what she was wearing. I, uh, I'm sorry, but the grandma sweatshirt. Hey, it's yeah. cold out. Well, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, you know, Italian fashion geniuses in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. <laughs> How do you do this? <laughs> From personal experience, I had a fashion emergency. Okay. <laughs> well, I think she did a really good job. Um, still uh, of being kind of uh, sexy as our as our sort of leading lady, even though she was under lots of sweaters and things. Like, it still translated really well, her character as, as being that, um, you know, attractive female character, even though she didn't have to show a lot of skin. You know, it just, her charm just came out in her personality and her interactions. Well, and that's, that's, uh, that's a good point. That's what I like the most about her character and about Andy McDowell as a person from what I've seen in other roles. Like, she is very beautiful, but it's like, she has a kind of radiance about her, and I think that that is what... Phil is attracted to initially, and it only becomes more evident the more that he gets to know her, that she has a genuine love for people and a kind heart and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, with certain people that you meet, that kind of just emanates from them, and it's an attractive force. And uh, I think that she has that, you know, that's one of the things that attracted me to my girlfriend. She has that same kind of generosity of spirit and um you know I, I just that's very well portrayed and that's that's an attractive quality in you know that that a lot of well men are attracted to in women and i'm sure vice versa you know that's just a, po a positive human trait that certain people really have in spades i would say from what i've seen this is probably one of her more charming roles that i've seen I would say she, she definitely does play that very sweet, kind of good-hearted, like everything he's not at the beginning of the film. Um, and definitely, it, both both her and Larry, the ca camera guy, are just kind of, at the beginning, they're foils for Phil. They're, you know, and then by the end, they're all more kind of together. But... Larry doesn't really have much personality beyond that. He's mostly used as a foil, but, yeah. I do. Like I was surprised there wasn't... He didn't have a little bit more uh, comic relief there, because Chris Elliott's a pretty funny guy. 
I, I do love it when they do the bachelor action and no one wants to bid on him, which yeah, is so funny. Okay. I felt kind of bad about for that guy, all right. But he was being kind of he was being kind of like creepy, hanging on to uh, what was her name, Nancy. Little old ladies, but what was it? A quarter? You know, what uh, Brandon was saying earlier, which this does feed into characterization, so it's not like too off topic, but um, the point that I, something that I had observed before, but I didn't really focus on it too much until the latest viewing was the idea that so, so one of the things that Bill Murray comes to right before he realizes, you know, this is an opportunity to remake myself, one of the things he ponders is he like, am I a god? And so then he was like, you know, well, maybe, maybe the idea of God is that he's been around for so long that he just knows everything. And I was like, isn't that an interesting idea that, you know, the concept of a divine being is someone that has someone, something that has been around for so long and experiences time in a way that linear human beings don't, that, you know, it would seem godlike to us. And so I think that's that's such an interesting idea, and it's really cool that Phil is going to that kind of place, despite, you know, not really being a philosophically inclined kind of person from what we can discern, but this situation is pushing him far beyond his original capacity, and then, of course, once he actually embraces his situation, then he opens up his mind and becomes a renaissance man, really. So, I mean, that just kind of shows that, you know, while one may not be, you know, godlike with one's time on Earth, one can certainly seize the day and better oneself, and Phil learns to do that, and that says a lot about him. You know what I found interesting? I, th I found it interesting that Larry uh, called him prima donna twice, and that's exactly what you, Dane, called uh, Bill Murray. Yeah, it's um, well, that's appropriate casting, and I think that's part of why I think uh, this story works so well is because, and again, I think the difference between Bill Murray and, uh, like, say, Chevy Chase is that for every prima donna thing I've ever heard from Bill Murray, uh, I've also heard an equal proportion of people saying that he did something really humble and cool. So it's like, it's not a perfect thing, but he also walks that line really well with his characterization here. So it's like, it couldn't be more perfect, really. Um, and actually, Tom Hanks was considered for this role, as well as Michael Keaton. And I think, I don't think anybody would have played it quite as well as Bill Murray did. Not quite as well. I, I think both of those people had the acting chops to do it, but I do think this 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 role s serves Bill Murray's particular talents the best out of any any film that I've seen of his that has comedy and drama in it. As far as pure drama, he's amazing in Lost in Translation, but like for something that has a wider emotional range, then yeah, this is this shows all of his talents. Yeah, the sentiment was that Tom Hanks would have been too nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I've seen him act mean, uh, 
at times, you know, in certain roles, but it's not quite the same thing. At this point in his career, though, he was known as a goofy, funny guy. I think this was right on the heels of A League of Their Own, so maybe, but I've seen Hanks do some really dark stuff, but at this point, yeah, I could see where Ramos might have been coming from at this point, you know, but it would it's an interesting thought, because I think Hanks could have done the role. It would have just been a very different movie. <laughs> and, and Michael Keaton subsequently went on to do you know, roles that were sort of about someone in his own kind of existential anguish, you know, such as uh, Birdman, and did well with that. Obviously not the same conceit here, but he had the acting chops to do something like this. Well, and I feel like Murray really brings out, I mean, he's just so good at playing that charming asshole, and that's really who Phil Connors kind of is, in the start of this movie, maybe not so much charming, uh, but he thinks he is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I guess when they were making the film, uh, when Bill Murray needed clarification, I mean, cause imagine you're redoing the same scene over and over a thousand times or whatever. Um, when he needed clarification about what he needed to be doing, he would just ask good Phil or bad Phil. And it's like, that's how he knew how to act that scene for that particular take or whatever. Um, and I just think that's something that he does really well. That's a yeah. good short, yeah. good shorthand there. I can't imagine anybody but Bill Murray actually being in this role either. Like, Neither could I. The, fa- the fact that they considered anybody else like at any point during this. Um, is kind of like, what? There were a few people that Ramus dismissed as, quote, too nice, and supposedly one of them was Chevy Chase, and I'm like, really? No. Um, Most of the people, I buy it, but too nice for him? No, I don't buy that. Yeah, he could could only play bad Phil. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anything to say on any... Actually, I think Chevy Chase could have done both because he's good at pretending to be a good person at times. And, um, well, um, so we're still on characters, right? Uh, for a minute, if anybody has anything else. Uh, there are there are a lot of like flavorful background characters in this who they didn't necessarily name them, but uh, they really drove like a lot of the events. That we see him like get involved with, like the kids falling out of the tree, or it's like, oh, we're getting married, but she's having second thoughts. Yeah, you know? uh, <laughs> yeah it seemed like uh, it seemed like a condition of him getting out of it was that he had to kind of sort everything out, like in the town too. And yet there are limits to that, you know, because like what I was saying before about seizing the day and all that stuff, there are limits to that because he cannot save the old man's life. And it turns out that really it wasn't able to be saved because he was just, well, yeah, he was just old. And sometimes, you know, people's bodies just give out and there's nothing that, you know, one can really do about it, you know. And that's the acceptance lesson for him. Exactly. It goes over and over until he learns acceptance. And that's a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I couldn't find everything. I couldn't find a space to, like, say anything during, um, when we were doing kind of the analysis of the I am God, you know, what if God was just around and got to see everything, and that was an interest, a pretty interesting concept, 
and so I, I just wanted to, like, voice some agreement with that. Yeah, it's just I've never really seen a movie fully explore that. Um, closest I've seen is something like Interstellar, but even that's not 100% it there, but, um, you know, but again, that's just, it kind of speaks to where his character's going, and then ultimately where he ends up, which is towards that place of acceptance, because he does not, you know, he, he does solve a lot of problems, but he does it out of the genuine goodness of his heart that he has developed over 10 years of being stuck in the same day, and he's not, like, it's not coming from a place of megalomania, it's coming from a place of genuine love, for its own sake. Yeah. So, um, I think, uh, I think that probably wraps characters, huh? Uh, actually, what about Ned? Uh, Ned? Ned Ryerson? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like I, mean, I said earlier, I thought, he was, I thought maybe he was the devil the first time I saw this. That scene they did over and over again within that uh, same day because they needed to make sure that they had uh, everything identical. So all of those were done like one take after the other type thing. And just seeing some of the interactions were really cool. The uh, way that they, both him and Bill Murray would actually interact and uh, even ad-lib. I mean, that whole line that Bill Murray did after he gave him that awkward long hug. Of, you know, I don't know what you're doing tonight, but... Uh, <laughs> well, that, that, that had to have been... That had to, How do we get rid of this annoying guy? Got it. <laughs> that, that had to have been such a weird acting situation, but from a filmmaking standpoint, that had to have been, like, a blessing as far as not having to, like do a bunch of different setups it's like you keep the same setup and you just kind of do it in sequence now granted you have to do the same kind of thing over and over again so you have to keep good track of it but you know relatively speaking in terms of just pure setups it's like oh look at that that's that's kind of nice and that's a fun actor too on later when we get to the other production aspects um on that Okay. Uh, we can move right into that because honestly, the the special effects and the music, like we can kind of group that all together. We're not talking about a horror movie that's got a ton of special effects or anything. So, I wanted to mention one more thing before we completely leave characters behind. Dave was talking before about this time looking at all the different people that show up in the film. And definitely for me, this was, all, I think this was the film that introduced me to Stephen Tobolowsky. He was always kind of that guy. And Chris Elliott was one of those that guy kind of actors, you know. But I had never realized who played the married couple. And I am, I, I, this is hilarious to me. I'm loving it. Hinden Walsh and Michael Shannon were the married couple. And I'm like, that is so awesome. Michael Shannon has gone on to become a huge actor, mostly playing total scary people and douchebags, but he's had some really nice roles too. And then, of course, Walsh is the voice, uh, a huge voice acting star. Um, so I just, I, I thought that was really awesome. I was like, Huh. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard those names before. <laughs> my my kid actually knew the uh, Hinden Walsh, and I was like, "What, really?" She's like, "Oh yeah," and she starts she naming off all her credentials. Yeah, she played Starfire in a lot of different productions. She was really? Hollywood on Arkham. She does a lot of anime overdubs. Yeah. Well, 
Damn, I should have recognized the voice. Well, she didn't really have many lines, I guess. But, wow. Right. Um, uh, real quick for effects, uh, there are really there were kind of two that stood out. So, um, there's a truck explosion, which I thought was pretty great. Like, it's your standard explosion, but it was kind of nice to see something like that in this. And then, uh, when he tries to, when he tries to give the old man, like, CPR or whatever in the alleyway, uh, like, there's a slow moment, I don't know if you guys caught it, too, um, but, like, as the old guy is dying, you can see, like, the cold breath coming from, like, coming from his head, like, kind of dissipate. So, like, at first, it's, like, kind of, like, a big cloud, and then as he dies, it, like, disappears, and I was like, wow, that's a really good effect. I like, I like the effect that, uh, that he did when he, uh, when he was up on that tall tower, and he just did that, you know, somersault in the air, and just kind of, that, done. That, that classic western yeah. fall, you know? Uh, oh, chase scene. At the end, with the explosion after they drive the car off of the thing. I mean, the uh, the thing's like he could be okay. Boom. <laughs> oh, well, probably not now. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. Like that was great. <laughs> or, uh, he was still good. They realized that Michael Bay sneaked onto the set. <laughs> or like, uh, like. Early on, when he figures out what's going on, like he steals a bunch of money from the armored car when they're not looking, you know, and he just like, goes to a movie like in a cowboy outfit, and it's like, yeah, I can do it. Why the fuck not? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you were playing polka music at the at the Groundhog's Day, Day Festival because uh, whenever they're singing that, that kind of reminds me of going to German Fest here in Milwaukee. <laughs> oh my god, it's such an earworm, the Pennsylvania polka. Ah, no! Actually, the, the, uh, the movie, actually, the musical choices in the movie were really good. I mean, uh, oh yeah, everything so uh, was perfect. For it. Almost like how, I mean, uh, love it or not, 1408 did a similar thing in a way by taking a song and kind of giving it an entirely. Uh, New thought and our new meaning in people's heads in some cases. Uh, so did um, with, with uh, that um, Rolling Stones song. Um, uh, I believe it was called "Time to Die" or something like that. Uh, that, but, uh, but they used the song throughout the whole film um, with Denzel Washington. So this is but, one of the arguments for use of music in film. <laughs> Yeah, and something real quick about stunts and effects and stuff. Uh, I love the whole sequence where he's letting the groundhog drop, and <laughs> supposedly yeah. I, I read Murray got bit nastily twice and had yes. stunts because of that. That's like oh, man, but I love my favorite part. And that's like when he's um, don't drive angry, don't. <laughs> that was actually improv because he, he didn't want the groundhog to get agitated. <laughs> well, you know, groundhogs, they have a short temper and they're not afraid to act on it. Well, I have a guinea pig, not a groundhog, but it's like the same kind of, you know, herbivore rodent with the square, square, big square front teeth. 
that are not meant for piercing, but they can still hurt if they decide to clamp down on you. So I have a bit of experience in that area with a similar species. Not to mention that groundhog is a guinea pig on steroids. Something like that. Well, that's my grandfather used to always say about groundhogs. And if they get too bothersome, they're good eating. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All you people are just worshipping this rat. I don't get and, it. And uh, <laughs> guinea pigs are also eaten in South America and Peru. They're so small, though. Like I feel like you wouldn't get, get any meat off them. Uh, you have to get a bunch of them and get them in a nice, you know, get some fry, you know, get some oil, get some spices, you know. I bet they taste awful. So just think How come you don't have any PETA people listening, do you? I don't know. <laughs> Just think for a moment, though, if they had cast Chevy Chase, he could have slipped in the line. Where's Eddie? He usually eats these things. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> well, hey, why don't we just all start talking about our favorite scenes in the movie, because that's probably going to take us a while. I'm sure we all have. Oh, man, it's so, it's so tough to, like... This movie was basically a collection of amazing scenes, so that, that kind of makes it hard to, like, narrow it down. I mean, like... Well, I have so one. many good quotes. Like you, how, you start. <laughs> my my favorite all time from when I was a kid up till now is when he drops a toaster in the bathtub with like the piece of toast still in it. And he like pushes <laughs> it down and <laughs> drops it right in. I thought that was hilarious as a kid, especially like oh, he's just giving up and trying to kill himself, and <laughs> that's probably my my top favorite scene. Uh, I think for me, it might be, um, like, when he's, like, near his breaking point, and it's like, I know who's responsible. He must be, he has to be stopped, and I know what I must do. Are you okay? <laughs> like, kidnaps the groundhog, like, blows himself up. It's like, it's so grim, like, all of a sudden, it's Jeez. Is this the freaking dead zone where he's got to go shoot that guy? <laughs> there's a lot of, in that middle section, there's a lot of gallows humor, which is pretty funny. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why I like the part with the gopher driving so much, because it's like, it is so grim, and then you cut to him in the truck with the gopher at the wheel, and it's like, what? <laughs> It's like, uh, this, this sort of reminds me a lot of In the Mouth of Madness, like the John Carpenter movie. It's almost like he's trapped in Hobbs End and just, like, everything crazy is happening. Like, in some of those scenes. It's like, it almost switches into, like, a different movie, but it still, it still isn't, like, totally breaking. Like, it's still, it still works as both, like, a comedy and a drama. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting like, comparison. I recently just watched In the Mouth of Madness, so kind of fresh in my mind. Did you, um, when you saw the sign for, um, like, where the groundhog's showing or whatever it is, it's, like, Nobber's Knoll or something? Uh, it's Gobbler's <laughs> Knob? Gobbler's Yeah, and... Like, the, Sucker's Dick? What? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> um, in in the Man is it's Hobbs End is the town where he gets, like, stuck in. And so right. I was like, wait a minute, do they have... Oh, all you need is Nilbog, and you got the whole tri-county tri tri area of the weirdness. Whole cursed, the whole cursed town motif. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe Haddonfield, Illinois. Um, I think I think my favorite scene is, uh, and uh, like you said, it's really tough. If I had to pick it right off the top of my head right now, I think it would probably be 
towards the end when Phil shows Rita his finished ice sculpture of her face, and he's saying how I know your face so well, and I just was like, that's the culmination of everything that he's learned, the fact that he has an appreciation for people and love just in and of itself without any kind of other selfish motives, and that is shit well and he's learned skills, he's learned the appreciation of beauty and it's just like it's everything all in one little moment and in if just a few words and I'm like that's that's really good writing and I mean I, I love the idea of any kind of statue or sculpture or anything like that and so I think that that sums it up very well and it's just like the perfect thematic expression of the movie really. Yeah, that makes me think of, uh, so, slight digression, has anybody seen the first Futurama movie? Uh, Ooh, uh, which, one, which one was it? I've seen them all. Bender's Big Score? Yeah. Um, so, a big plot point is, like, Fry still likes Leela, but Leela's not really interested in him because he's really immature, and then she meets somebody who's, like, like almost, like, the perfect, like, person for her, um, but then, like, stuff happens, and, like, he dies. And then it's revealed that that guy was Fry who froze himself. He somehow went back to the past and, like, had his own, like, maturing experience. And, like, he grew into that person and then, like, froze himself again. And it sort of makes me think of that. Like, I, it's hard not to explain without going into, like, a 20-minute thing because it's complicated as hell. But it's, it makes me think like that. It's like, you know, the the person you needed to be is in there. You just needed time to mature. Yeah, to bring it out of you like a uh, ice sculpture where it's just a block of ice and you gradually whittle it away and then there's the beautiful thing inside. It's like the, it's the old joke, you know, carving a horse out of marble, just chip away everything that's not a horse, you know. Unless um, you're like SpongeBob and you just like hit the marble once and the statue like appears, yeah. Formed. And speaking of which, also my if I'm kind of speaking for my my dad here because this is one of his all time favorite movies. But like, I think his favorite, at least favorite line in the thing was that at the very end when uh, he finally gets out of the day and he's like, you know, you told me to stay and I stayed. I can't even make a collie stay. And it's like, stay. Yeah, that was always his favorite. And, and it is great because it's, a, again, a culmination of everything. And it's such a genuine moment because you could, you could really believe that real people would talk like that, which, you know, is, that's saying a lot because there are certain, certain movies that try really, really hard to be realistic and they end up just not being realistic in their dialogue, but that's an example of people talking like people in an extraordinary situation. Uh, yeah, so, certainly the dialogue was quite excellent, and there were some, like you said, real simple lines like that. Um, like, I just thought I would bring up the, the quotes list here um, at IMDb. The first line they list is a really good, simple line that sounds like something he would have said, and it's a great line, and that's the, well, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. You know, <laughs> that, was a, that was a really good line, and I always liked that a lot. But then it, I just noticed I had forgotten about this line. This was maybe not the most naturalistic line, but I loved it. And that's when he's at the bed and breakfast, and he's talking to that nice little old lady. 
He's like, do you ever have deja vu, Miss Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that line. <laughs> oh, that was so I, I did have a couple. Of, go ahead, Brandon. Go ahead. Uh, I did have a couple of them, and I just only two major things. So I like to think of things in a comedic and a and a dramatic sense. Uh, to me, because that's really where the movie goes. To me, the for me comedically, my favorite scene is just uh, uh, the montage that they do of his learning, especially when they go to the piano teacher, where he's like, "I'll give you a thousand dollars," and just puts the good girl out of that. <laughs> I just like little moments like that with the were scattered throughout that montage. I just thought that was great. I was right. But I also really liked. Uh, the, the scenes where, he, where the scene was trying to woo Rita the first time. And they had that magic moment, but then it shows the constant, like, back and forth. And he's trying to get that position. It's like, I was here. No, maybe here. This was what the one that made her really like me. This showing where he was actually literally trying to struggle. Or the, uh, the almost fake overtones of him... Uh, going getting into the snow fight with the kids in that area. It's just, uh, to me, that was just a, a lot of great acting in that scene and uh, a lot of good writing in there. And like how he Oh my god. I like the as far as the different elements of the film. I like those montage sequences too, and that's one thing that we haven't really mentioned that that uh, I think is critical with this one. This was an unbelievably well edited film. Like you, this is one where you really you, what they they did with the in the cutting room was absolutely crucial to making it work. It also probably sucked really bad to edit this movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, everything was essential, like, there was, yeah. there was like, nothing superfluous. Well, and everything is the same scene, just shot, like, a little bit differently, a little bit differently, you know. I would be interested uh, in seeing if there was actually, like, more cut from this uh, film, and if they, if they edited it back in, how it would look. You know what I mean? If they had any extra footage? I don't know. I haven't heard that there's any deleted scenes or, or extra footage, like, because there's nothing on the DVD that I have. I'm not sure what's on the Blu-ray. Yeah, what's, uh, what's interesting is, like, I could see it either way. I could see potentially this being, like, a four-hour epic, you know, with all of the lost, uh, all the deleted scenes being put back in. Or I could see it the other way, where it's just so tightly scripted that they just you just shoot everything you actually need and don't really waste a lot of time. And especially because this is so full of uh, vignettes that are inherently repetitious, you know, it's like, well, they're all the same situations, but they're meant to illuminate a different aspect of this person's character arc. So it's... I, I think one could easily say, okay, you know, we only need to show this much to get the point, because um, you could go for much longer for the sake of accuracy, but I don't think you'd gain a whole lot more insight. Not to mention that whether good or bad, you can never have a director's cut unless one already exists. So it would kind of be an insult to Harold Ramis to recut the film, I think. True. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. A he was a fun director. It is sad to see him uh, go. Go kind of early, too. Um, yeah. Did any, anybody else have any favorite scenes they wanted to talk about before we get into, like, the additional stuff? I think yeah. some more that we haven't talked about already. What about you, Dave? Well, uh, my first one was oh, it was what Katie had mentioned, but uh, uh, I guess my second uh, one that I um, w would uh, would uh, tentatively enjoy is the is uh, you know just uh, I think the death montage was uh, was probably my favorite uh, uh, scenes afterwards as well um uh, personally because because how many uh, of course when i was a kid i thought i saw a hell of a lot more deaths in there but uh, but maybe i was mistaken <laughs> but i think that's what uh, why i like this because it 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 showed him uh, it, it's like he had his first you know real relationship you know uh, you know, and then he had his first heartbreak. He had to learn how to, you know, how to be, uh, how to, how to love himself first, and then, you know, through the process of pain and heartbreak, you know, find his way back to it. Yeah, uh, and it, love and acceptance. It's like taking care of a narwhal for ten years. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, like love and love and accept himself, and also accept other people as they are except the beauty of simple, a simple life as it is and also that which you cannot change no matter how good of a person you are like no, it, death, yeah. inevitable death you know it's like no one can fix that no I, I mean you're not in control of everything you're not in control of your destiny you have to build it yourself you know well we really see him go on a journey of um you know, realizing there is more to life than just what serves him. And I think that's kind of the touching part, you know, that it, it, it kind of shows us that there is, there's possibly hope for people like that. Cause I'm sure we all know somebody who's pretty self-centered in that way. <laughs> it's self-actualization where you uh, start with just such basic things as security you start internally, but you must build from that place to a point of security and enlightenment at the end. Um, though I'm not exactly sure whether that truly fits the film, but that uh, but that is how many see it. <laughs> well, there's so many ways to interpret it, and, and so many um, religious groups have interpreted it in so many different ways, but I think it's a really great general idea that you know depending on how you you know your life experience and what you see um you can get different things out of it for sure well it also speaks to the universality of well because like you said so many different um people of different religions or even just ph philosophical backgrounds or whatever it's like it speaks to a universality within all those things, and it shows that at our core, we want that we as human beings want so many of the same things, and we are finding our ways to get there. But it's just like it's amazing that a film can say such a profound thing to so many very different groups of people, 
But again, that speaks to what connects us rather than what divides us. And speaking of dividing, um, one thing I wanted to bring up in terms of additional items of note, uh, this film was actually the catalyst for the feud between Bill Murray and Harold Ramis that lasted like 21 years until uh, Ramis was on his deathbed. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like... um, Apparently, Bill Murray was going through divorce during the filming of this, and so as one might be during a divorce, you know, he was a little bit hard to work with, and I guess at some point he had he had all kinds of different input about, he really wanted this to not be a comedy at all, I guess, um, and really to be more of a, of a drama, and he had all these uh, changes and ideas and, and things, so Ramis eventually deferred him um, to the to the writer whose name is escaping me at the moment, but um, I guess Murray was really taken aback by that and and was not happy with him over that, and that's kind of what sparked their their feud, and they went 20-some years without talking to each other. Wow. Which is really tragic that, you know... That is pretty sad. What, um... You know, Especially if you see why he talked about that, what he said at the uh, at his Oscar speech. Uh, yeah. That year that he had died, it kind of reflects the emotion, probably an internalization he had uh, on that feud. What year is Groundhog Day from my... Uh, 93. 93? Okay, yeah, so it's a... Uh, it's a much more recent movie. Yeah, apparently it was it was Bill Murray's brother, um, Brian Doyle Murray, who told him, you know, you got to go talk to to Ramis. You know, he's dying. Go see him. So he went and saw him in the hospital, and whatever was said, I mean, I guess nobody really knows, but they they mended things at that point. Kind of ironic. Pretty sad. <laughs> And that also explains why Ghostbusters 3 didn't happen in Harold Ramis' lifetime. Well, the video game happened, and that's that's yeah. what Ghostbusters 3 was, was supposed to be. I mean, I, yeah. think we're getting, I think we're getting, like, a real one now, but... I think so, but I never... You know, he was never going to come back to it, but uh, people have actually spotted him on the set of the filming, so apparently that might be the... Uh, case don't be cool i think with a with a video game like that i mean you don't have to be recording in the same room together i mean i'm sure that'd be nice for the sake of capturing the chemistry but uh you know that's a decent workaround if things aren't exactly super cool between the stars yet you know yeah if by the way if if any of you guys can find that game like play it uh it's it's awesome I'm not sure if it's backwards compatible. Earlier, before the show, you mentioned a movie that was influenced by this uh, uh, by this film that you wanted to double bill with this, but uh, we didn't have time for. Uh, well, I wanted to watch it like myself. After uh, first of all, uh, Groundhog Day ended up being substantially longer than I thought it was. Like I thought it was like an 85, 90 minute movie. It's more of like a hundred and some minute movie. Um, so I didn't have time, but uh, so there's a Blumhouse horror movie called Happy Death Day. T- Happy Death Day, and it basically takes like the Groundhog Day premise into like horror. So it's like you know every night you know this guy murders this girl, and every morning she wakes up 
like, reliving the same day. Like, I assume trying to prevent her own murder. Like, I haven't seen it, but I've been kind of interested in it for a while, and I've just never encountered it, like, at a decent price. You know, what we, sh- you know what we should have, what we should have double billed this I said I heard it, it's a good movie. Yeah, most people have said that. You know what we should have double billed this with was, uh, um, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Because that was basically sci-fi Groundhog Day. Oh yeah, I heard about that. Perhaps the next time we do this. Yeah, that was a really good movie. (laughs) Maybe we'll wake up in the morning and be like, hey, we can do it again. Yeah, when we relive this day again, we'll we'll do that. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't be, I think like the first like two or three weeks, like it'd be kind of awesome because it'd be like, yeah, I can do all this other stuff. But then it would be just like the worst hell. (laughs) Oh, it would get old. For sure it would get old. Like, I, I read everything in the apartment. I mean, yeah, Anybody else had any other additional items of note? But I also have in my notes here that they did a stage adaptation of this that ran on Broadway in 2016. Yeah, which, didn't they do a musical? Correct. That's the stage adaptation. So it never went off Broadway and toured the country. I guess it... it got canceled before that ever happened, but, um, so none of us probably saw it. But I think that's interesting. (laughs) The biggest regret of Broadway is that we never got to see the American Psycho musical. (laughs) Uh, There's an American Psycho one, and there's a Clockwork Orange one, which, uh, a couple different ones, actually. A Toxic Avenger one, supposedly. I've seen that. I've seen the Toxic Avenger. It's a lot of fun. I've seen that. I've seen uh, Evil Dead the Musical twice, which is amazing. And Mm -hmm. I've seen uh, the Rocky Horror Show. And I have not seen Little Shop of Horrors on the stage yet, but I do want to. I'm fine with the movie. The movie is freaking spectacular. The probably wrap things up. We're getting more to over here. So. I was about the uh, film that I found kind of weird, and I was wondering, uh, day, uh, you would think they would have planned better for the release, and I wonder if this film getting a, a soft reaction when it first came out, but the big premiere was February 4th, and it actually was released on February 12th, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. That's poor planning. That sure is. <laughs> but it found it out eventually, so I guess that's what matters. <laughs> that's right. Uh, it's a little bit like uh, the original Miracle on 34th Street being released during the summertime, even though it's a Christmas film. Right. Is Groundhog Day Saturday? Yes. Yes. Huh? Well, damn. <laughs> 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 All right, anybody else last thoughts? Uh, uh, one more thing. I remember a Supernatural episode in season three, episode uh, 11, that they did, uh, did a Groundhog Day episode uh, with Sam and Dean. So, I remember that. So, uh, I thought that, uh, that was... Yeah. It does have a lot of cultural resonance just with everything. Like Katie's talked about, like way in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, like it's become its own trope. Oh yeah. yeah. So I'm sure there are a bunch of other examples we could think of if we had time, but I think we got to cut it off there. Yep. Indeed. 
Alright, so we'll close things out and let everybody um, promote themselves. Dustin, why don't you go ahead? No? No Dustin promoting? Well, hey! So, <laughs> there he is. Uh, well, I'm Dustin. I live here in Milwaukee, and I collect anything I can find related to horror. And I've also recently started launching my own channel with actual uploads instead of just talking about it. Uh, I'm the Crypt of Horrors here on YouTube. Uh, I also have a Twitch where there's not anything yet, but when this is over, I'm going to attempt, most likely fail, to stream some Call of Cthulhu. Uh, so I'm also on Pop Culture Weekly with my friends that run the Twisted Dreams Horror Film Festival. And so you can hear us every Thursday at 7 o'clock Central on YouTube at Pop Culture Weekly. Um, my own channel is The Crypt of Horrors. And I also have an Instagram for my horror collecting, uh, DHR Hunter, which I think I might change to The Crypt of Horrors, but since I use DHR Hunter in other places, I'm still kind of deciding. Uh, you can also find me terrorizing Twitter, uh, also at the Cryptophores. <laughs> We're trying a branding thing. Uh, so, and I'm generally pretty active there whenever I'm bored. Uh, I also have some measure of editorial power at Inside Movies Galore, although there's kind of so much going on, I don't necessarily do a whole lot there. But, uh, yeah, you can find me all over, and... It'll be fun. So awesome. Follow me. All right. <laughs> How about you, Dane? Um, well, uh, I am Dane Kyle, independent filmmaker out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I've got a bunch of uh, shorts that are included in a bunch of uh, horror anthology feature films, including Clown Exploitation, which is on Troma now, and. Uh, Got a bunch of others. I'm actually in the process of shooting another one uh, for another anthology in the coming weeks. Um, something else I can knock out pretty quick. Uh, trying to get my first feature film off the ground and working on a bunch of different comic books, um, original properties that I've got with an artist friend of mine. So, I mean, the, the party never stops around here. It's just a matter of what's what's happening when. Excellent. Um, and uh, why don't you go ahead, Jake? Hi, I am Jake. I'm here in Central Virginia, and uh, I frequently guest on the channel Sept of Sin vs. World on YouTube, and we, this week, um, did a top 15 list that's going to be a lot of fun. It's the top 15 people who are dramatically overdue for at least one Oscar nomination. And we'll follow that up in a couple of weeks with people who've been nominated but really need a win. Uh, <laughs> and I've put together a very, or I filmed a very long, well, I don't want to say very long, but a fun video. Uh, weird, uh, uh, basically a video of the movies I have watched this year uh, with what I think should be their awards consideration. I plan to get that edited and posted soon. 
Um, and we, you know, I join in on the general videos that we do as well, and I'll let Brandon talk more on those in a minute. And I have my own channel, Kabuki Jake, also on YouTube, uh, and the Hub Pages page. Neither of those are heavily edited, but every once in a while, something will be added. And um, there you go. <laughs> awesome. Why don't you go ahead, Brandon? There we go. Uh, well, uh, I am with uh, Septum Sun versus the World. I actually uh, run the channel, and we are a channel dedicated to physical media and the love of all things physical media, uh, but mostly movies. Uh, we do various things, such as news videos, where we let you know what's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, or 4K, whatever your pleasure is, and uh, of course we do uh, pickup videos. Most recently, we do have a top 15 coming out this Friday. I have it edited. I just want to throw a good title on it, and my mind has lost the title, uh, but we'll, we'll figure that out tomorrow. Uh, and uh, that will be up as well. Um, so we do like to do various things, and I do partner uh, occasionally with Inside Movies Galore to do reviews. Uh, and we did Kage Musha not too long ago with myself, Kotobuki Jake, and Dave uh, talking about that film. And uh, we hope to do one in the near future, hopefully, about the uh, Mermaid's uh, Scar and uh, Mermaid uh, Forest, I believe. Cool, sounds like fun. Uh, why don't you go ahead, David? Alrighty. My name is David Street. I am the normal uh, uh, host of Inside Movies Galore, but as we have said before, we are all hosts. So, um, nice. welcome everyone, uh, and uh, thank you for enjoying the episode. Hopefully we won't be reliving this episode tomorrow. Well, um, we had a good time anyway, though, right? <laughs> uh, but... Um, I also do reviews and uh, uh, of physical media as well as uh, uh, reviews of films that haven't been released on uh, uh, physical media on the ch uh, channel as well, so definitely check that out. I actually r recently uh, watched a film uh, uh, that dealt with a director that had brought out Chris Elliott, who was actually in this film recently uh, uh called wolfman uh from 1979 so definitely check out that review uh, i had uh, some fun with that and uh, also check out the kate amusha episode that i did with septum sim and uh, kabuki J uh, jake that was uh that was definitely fun uh so um yeah um i'll definitely be slowly but surely getting some uh, some more reviews out i definitely have a lot more uh, more in store i'm kind of behind i'm I may be the slowest person, but I definitely am on top of things. So, <laughs> well, and as always, I'm Katie Cadaver from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm a body positive horror artist and alternative model. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, Twitter, um, also here on YouTube. And I'm also the makeup artist for the horror punk band Rat Bat Spider. You can listen to them at ratbatspider.bandcamp.com. And I am also a dead girl for Deadgirls Dark Coffin Classics. And you can watch episodes at vimeo.com slash ddcc. I also perform and produce for Grindhouse Tees Burlesque Productions. And you can find us on Facebook. 
I also am a Troma with Troma Entertainment, and you can find all your Troma goodies at Troma.com. And I'm going to be soon uh, guesting on another podcast called The Shameless Picture Show. Uh, some of you folks might remember uh, Michael Viers, who runs that podcast. He was a guest here on our podcast, oh boy, quite a while ago. I don't even remember what episode it was, but um, he has asked me to join him and do an episode. Uh, I think we're going to be covering the Blues Brothers on the Shameless Picture Show, so I'm looking forward to that. And you can listen to the Shameless Picture Show wherever you get your podcasts from, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, they're now on Spotify, yay. Um, and also, I'm an editor here at uh, Inside Movies Galore, and next week we're going to be covering the film Legend. Uh, so definitely... Uh, Yes, definitely stay tuned for that one. And, and uh, as... going to be hosting that one. Oh, yes. right, I am. <laughs> yes. So better, better get your notes printed up. Um, but as always, please remember to like us on Facebook, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and share us with your friends. Yeah, I love that movie, so it'll be great. So yeah, like, share, and subscribe to yeah. all our stuff. Follow us across different dimensions. <laughs> Which is interesting, because I was just watching a, mo a movie that was done in the style of Tales from, uh, Tales from the Crypt called Tales from the different uh, the Third Dimension or something like that. <laughs> Are we still on? <laughs> in any case, we now return you to whatever it was you were doing. Like, share, and subscribe. Thank you. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Nice job,